Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. that time of year. You see, we just passed the season where people give gifts and say all kinds of nice things and enjoy life. And now we have hit the season for divorce filing. That's right. January is traditionally the month when more divorces are filed than any other month during the year. We'll be talking about divorce tonight and particularly why people do it. I'm Dr. Joe Beam. Welcome to the show. We'll be talking about this tonight in terms of why people want out of a marriage. And you can hear every different kind of reason that you can possibly imagine, but they all really come back to one. Well, I've heard them all. I heard a guy tell me once that he said, you know, I've been married to my wife for 20 something years. We have children that are just about grown. And all of a sudden on Facebook, I ran into the woman that was my high school girlfriend and have come to the realization that God wanted me to marry her instead of the woman I'm married to. And now he's giving me a second chance. And so I'm divorcing the wife that I shouldn't have been with to marry the one that I was supposed to have been with to begin with. I've had others talk about the fact that, you know, I I know that what I did was wrong, but I ran into this person and we had a connection and we wound up sleeping with each other. And I know I shouldn't have done that when I was married, but, but you don't know what it's like. And the relationship I have with this person is so amazing. And so I'm divorcing my spouse and I'm going to go be with him because I can just tell the rest of my life is going to be absolutely amazing. And not long ago, I interacted with a fellow who was involved with a woman who is older than he. He has two children under three. He said that the woman that he's involved with says she, you should go ahead and divorce your wife and leave those kids and come. It won't affect the kids negatively at all, not in any shape, fashion, or form. How do I know? Well, because I was divorced when my child was young, and my child's now in college, and she's doing great. And so it's going to be great for your daughters as well. And when the guy was interacting with me and I said, why would you give them up? Why would you do that? He said, oh, the sex with this woman is phenomenal. You can hear every reason. I mean, all kinds of things. We can talk about everything you can come up with, but it all comes back to one basic reason. And interestingly, and we'll talk about this in just a few minutes, that one basic reason often reaches back into childhood. You say, okay, Joe, we've heard you. What's the reason? What's the reason that people want a divorce? Well, if you were going to look in the Bible, for example, and say, why not people divorce? You'll find in in the book of Matthew, Jesus says that people want a divorce because their hearts are hard. If you want to look at our modern psychology, which is where I'm going to come from, and you say, why not people divorce? It's because they believe that being out of that marriage is better than being in that marriage. 
You see, the basic rule of thumb with people is that they don't let go of what they have unless they believe what they're about to grab hold of is better. Or another way to say that is people don't leave what they have unless they believe where they're going is better. And so in the situations I described for you already, these are all people who said, man, the situation that has arisen now, I'm meeting up with an old high school girlfriend 20-something years later. Oh, I've hooked up with this older woman and the sex is phenomenal. Whatever it might be, it's always I see that as being better than the marriage I'm in now. And so when people want out of a marriage, the basic underlying reason is, I think where I'm headed, actually, think is not strong enough a word, I believe where I'm headed is better than what I have now. Therefore, I'm going to leave this marriage and go to that. You say, well, is that always another person? And the answer is, no, it's not always another person. Sometimes the relationship is so bad in the marriage that you're in that a person would see being alone as being better. A lady that I talked to several years ago who talked about how her husband regularly got drunk, and every time he was drunk, he tried to kill her. At least that's what she told me. And she described some of the beatings she took from him and how he once tried to set her on fire and other things like that. And for her, divorce was actually still the same principle. I'm going to something better. Only it was not another person. It was just being without him. That being with you is so bad that I believe where I'm headed is still better than what I have here. And so sometimes people will divorce to get out of a situation because the relationship they're in is so controlling or dominating or dangerous that they feel like just being alone is better. Or, or sometimes it's because they have decided to enact a new lifestyle that they cannot live if they stay in the marriage. And so they wind up, you know, I really want to go and drink with my friends. I want to go out and dance all night long. And this is not going to work because my spouse is not up for that and doesn't want me to do it. And so what I want to do is leave this marriage so I can live like I want to live, drink what I want to drink, do what I want to do, spend how I want to spend. And even then, you understand that what they're seeing in their own minds is what I'm going to is better than what I have. Now, I'm going to explain in just a moment how that almost always comes out of childhood. But before I do that, let me make sure that you're hearing what I'm saying. And to explain why more divorces take place in January than any other month, or are filed in January more than any other month, typically speaking. One is that some people don't want to file the divorce during the holiday season because Thanksgiving and Christmas and then to be family events, and, and it's like, I can't do this to my children during this time frame, or I don't want to do this to my spouse during this time frame, and so I will wait till afterwards. So let's just get past the holidays, and then I'll do it. So that's one reason that January is that kind of a month. Another reason has to do with sometimes it's during that holiday period that they just finally admit to themselves how miserable they are in the relationship that they have. Like, I don't want to be here. And so if they've already found a paramour, a lover, uh, an affair partner, whatever phrase or term you want to use for that, it may be that they begin to long even more um, intensely for the relationship with that person because of the holidays and wanting to be able to share the holidays with him or her. So sometimes that's the reason that it happens in the month of January. So it's timing having to do with Thanksgiving and Christmas primarily. 
that motivates the January things. Now, if people want out of a marriage because they believe where I'm going is better than what I have, if that's the case, how does that tie to childhood? Because I've mentioned that it does. Think about it this way. We, and this is pretty well all of us, if there's an exception to this, I don't know it. We, in our childhood, typically did not have the absolutely perfect childhood. I mean, maybe somebody did have the perfect childhood. I don't know. But I don't hear the story from people like my childhood was amazing. Nothing bad happened. It was wonderful. I wish everybody could live my childhood. Now, obviously, there are some childhoods that are much better than others. We know that. And you can come through childhood and, and be happy. I'm not saying that every, every kid goes out of childhood all screwed up. I'm not saying that at all. But typically, most of us somewhere in childhood wind up with what I will call vulnerabilities, or if you prefer the word, susceptibilities, based on something that we didn't get, something that we wanted, something that we craved. And I'm not talking about typically things like a new bike. I'm talking about more often emotions, such as I wanted my home life where I was growing up to be one that felt safe and secure, and I never felt that safety because I never knew if dad would kind of come back home again, or dad had already left, and now my mom, uh, my mom had a lot of different boyfriends. One of my dear, dear friends, his mom was married, oh, I'm forgetting, it was either 11 or 12 times before he finished high school. Now, and so it would be like, I, I want this relationship. I, I want a relationship with a father. I want a relationship with a mother. I want to feel safe. I want to feel appreciated. And some of us come out of childhood feeling that we were controlled and dominated and never were loved for who we are, but only for what they wanted us to do. And when we did it, we were accepted. And when we failed to do it, just as a parent or both parents wanted, we felt rejected and therefore we come out of that with this tremendous need for unconditional love. Another fellow I know runs a, um, well, um, let's just call it a retreat. It's not exactly that. It's actually more intense than that. Where young men who have, and these are teenagers, who have drug problems come and come into his program and stay for a while. And he does a lot of very intense things there. He told me once, I have never had a teenager with drug or addiction problems come into my program that didn't have a hole in his heart for his father. I say, okay, can you say that? I can understand it better. He said, they all have daddy holes that they needed this from dad or that from dad, feeling love, feeling safe, feeling secure, those kinds of things. And they didn't happen. And they, these particular kids at least have tried to fulfill that by the drugs that they take or the addiction they've gotten into. And sometimes it doesn't come from your parents. It can come from your peers. For example, you may be a person that is not as physically blessed as others. As a matter of fact, maybe you're rather plain or, or you have been made fun of all of your life because they, other kids were mean and called you things like ugly. I remember talking to a college student just a few years ago who said that throughout her teenage years, all of her friends, or at least alleged friends, let's say that, called her ugly. And so she had a great need, but it wasn't coming from mom and dad necessarily. It was coming from the fact that I, I feel rejected by my peers. There's something wrong with me. Some of us grew up in homes with alcoholic parents, either a dad or a mom or both. 
and and felt the insecurity that came with that and learned how to be very private and protective and not share that information with other people. I mean, I could describe a bunch of different things here, but what I'm hoping you understand is how this creates a susceptibility. Susceptibility. So this is a very old story. It's a true one, one that I don't tell a lot, but every once in a while I remember a young man, and I'm talking about a real person here. This is not a made-up thing, who who was obese when he was in high school and didn't have, as a matter of fact, I don't think he ever dated at all when he was in high school, didn't go to the senior prom, nothing, none of those kinds of things because of the fact that, that he felt so ugly and people made fun of his weight. He was big enough and et cetera, et cetera. He wound up going to a Christian university to major in Bible, not because he necessarily wanted to, but because that was the deal his parents made with him. If you go to this Christian university and you major in Bible, we will pay for your education. Otherwise, you know, do the best you can on your own. And so he did. And as he was doing that, he had to take some classes about speaking and discovered that he had a great gift for oratory. I mean, this guy was an amazing speaker. He could stand in front of people and, and just hold you in the palm of his hand as he talked. And so he stayed with the Bible major. He graduated. He went into ministry. It didn't take long for him to get a good church with such a giftedness. And then he had that kind of surgery that will help you lose the weight, some kind of a bypass thing or something. And, and so he had this surgery and wound up losing a lot of weight. And when he got down to, you know, the size that um, people would expect him to be, all of a sudden had a lot of female attention because of the fact that he now appeared to be handsome. And in addition to that, standing in front of all these people with that great oratorical skill and speaking, people were just attracted to him. His personality was magnetic. His speaking was fantastic. Now, what kind of a susceptibility or vulnerability do you think would exist in a guy like that? Now, he did marry while he was in college, and so he's got a wife, and he's a pastor of a church. What's going on? He begins to get this female attention, and he doesn't know quite how to deal with it. Why? Because he's got this vulnerability, this susceptibility. But think about it with me, if you will. Who were the females that had rejected him when he was a kid? Well, they were teenage girls. So... And I'm, by the way, not justifying anything this guy did because everything he did was terrible. He should have not done it. But he wound up having an affair with a 13-year-old girl. Now, she had gone into puberty early, so she was developed to some degree. And he winds up, and she, of course, becomes totally infatuated with him and just amazed by the attention she got from him. And he is enjoying this because it's fulfilling that susceptibility. But let me go back and explain something about this. Okay, if, if you actually you might want to write this down in front of you, on, on the left-hand side, just write the word susceptibility slash vulnerability. Now, start moving to your right a little bit. And the next thing you do is put possibility. You say, what, what are you talking about? I'm going to try to help you understand what finally leads to the divorce. If we have a susceptibility or vulnerability, whatever it might be, and for this guy, it was being attracted to teenage girls because that's where he was rejected. It can be all kinds of different things for different people. A lady once called me after one of my programs, and this was several years ago, quite a few years ago. She said, I'm in my 40s, but I'm not going to tell you which year, because the next thing I'm going to tell you, you could try to figure out who I am, and I want to be anonymous. And I said, okay, talk to me. She said, I'm in my 40s. I was once Miss Alabama 
and went to the Miss America contest. Okay. I, I'm not going to go try to look up people in your age group and find out which ones were Miss, uh, Miss Alabama back in those days. But okay, I understand. She said, I've always been extremely pretty. And I said, okay, very good. I'm not hearing this as egotism because I know she's headed to a problem. And she said, and now, and now if there are younger women around, rather than looking at me, men look at them and I don't have any identity anymore. So he was a person whose vulnerability or susceptibility stemmed from the fact that she believed that her worth and value had to do with being beautiful physically. And as she began to age, and I'm, I don't know who she was, but I'm imagining that even in her 40s, she was probably still extremely pretty. But people were looking at the 20-somethings rather than the 40-something, and she didn't know who she was anymore. Now, take those two stories, the one about the pastor and the one about her, Think about that as susceptibility, vulnerability. Move that one step to your right, and you see the word possibility, which means is there a possibility that something could occur that would take advantage of the susceptibility and vulnerability? Now, stay with me for a minute. For example, suppose you grew up in a home with an alcoholic, either dad, mom, or both, which makes you likely, or at least more likely, let me say it that way, more likely to become an alcoholic yourself. And so let's say that, that you have a penchant for that. You have a, a predilection toward being a drunk. But you live in a country that allows no alcohol, one of the many countries, you know, where the Muslims are in power and they're against alcohol altogether. Well, then you could have a vulnerability or susceptibility, but no possibility. And if the possibility doesn't exist... And you have no problem. But in America, possibilities exist for nearly everything. Now, if you go one more step to the right, write the word probability. Because even if a possibility exists, it doesn't necessarily mean that your weakness, your susceptibility, your vulnerability is going to be taken advantage of. There's always a possibility, you understand, particularly in this country. But if you go one more step, then there's a probability. And you say, oh, what are you talking about now? Well, this pastor that I was talking about starts, I assume this is the way it happened. I know some of the story, but not all. He begins, he's speaking all around the country, by the way, by this time, because he's so amazing as an orator. But he's also teaching the teenage class at his church that includes the 13-year-olds and this one particular 13-year-old who had it developed a little earlier and then, then some girls do begin to pay a lot of attention to him and wanted to talk to him after class and hang out and those kinds of things. And he did that. Now, most of us would admit to ourselves if we knew what they were, we would admit to ourselves what our possible, our possibility, I'm sorry, our vulnerabilities, our susceptibilities. Actually, let me back up on that. Based on my experience, I think most of us would not admit to ourselves what they are. <laughs> so let me say that more honestly. We don't look at it. We don't try to find out what it is. I don't think this guy ever sat down and thought, wow, if I were going to wind up doing something wrong or bad, where might be my areas of temptation? Where are my susceptibilities? What are my vulnerabilities? But this 13-year-old girl is paying attention to him, and then they wind up spending time together when nobody else is around. So she comes to the church. She comes in his office. She'll sit there with the door closed and talk to him. And that finally leads to them having some secret meetings just because they're friends. You know, maybe they meet in the table at the back of the park 
where nobody ever comes, but you know, it's okay because we're just friends. Nothing bad would ever happen. And by doing those kinds of things, he has moved from possibility into probability. And so back with the former Miss Alabama, what's happening with her? By the way, this conversation took place with her more than 30 years ago. So if she's still alive, she's in her 70s now, or maybe even 80s. I don't know. And what happened with her is that she, the possibility existed, of course, uh, that she could be taken advantage of because she, she needed her beauty, her physical beauty affirmed. And then when she goes to parties and things like that, which she, apparently she did a lot of, apparently a very social creature, and men would pay attention to those younger women, she would make sure to become a great conversationalist with guys, not necessarily the youngest guys there, but with men. And in those conversations, if those men began to pay any attention to the other women than her, she would actually raise the ante by becoming a little bit suggestive and flirting in those conversations. And then it finally led to some of those guys would say, well, let's leave here and go get a drink somewhere. And she would. And what happens? She told me that she had had seven extramarital affairs and she didn't know how to stop because when those men were in bed with her, she felt beautiful. But do you see how the susceptibility vulnerability became a possibility and then finally became a probability? And after probability, of course, comes reality. So this young man, the the pastor, winds up having an an affair with a 13-year-old, which is illegal in all kinds of ways. It's a wonder that her father didn't end his tenure on this planet. I'm serious. You know, he could have been shot to death by that father. Or here's this woman who was the former Miss Alabama, and she's having the situation because of the fact that she wants to feel beautiful. And so if you look back, or you can see those kinds of things like that all the way back along the line, such as I was sexually molested when I was young, and it continued and continued and continued. And whether they understand this about themselves or not, with those particular people, and hear me well, this does not apply to everybody who has been sexually molested. But at least for some of those people who were sexually molested, they begin to see their worth only in terms of sexual activity. And so it's not that unusual that some of them, by the time they go through puberty, you wind up being very sexually active with a lot of people. Why? Because only when that's happening do I feel lovable? Do I feel acceptable? And so there's the vulnerability, susceptibility that goes into possibility, which is always existing in America. And probability is I'm paying too much attention to this guy. I'm spending too much time with him or this girl, or I'll just take a drink to help me deal with the fact that I can't cope with all the anxiety or my life seems so empty. I've got this big daddy hole and, and because I can't handle the misery, the easiest thing available to me is something that'll put me chemically altered. So I can take this pill or I can snort that or I can shoot this thing over here or I can smoke that. And the whole idea being because of the fact that I'm still dealing with my pain from my childhood because I, just, I do not feel accepted for who and what I am And so this person then moving closer and closer to that by hanging out with people who do those things, putting himself or herself in places where those things occur, where they exist, where they're available. Now, do you understand that that's 
what often leads people who wind up getting married into things that make them want to divorce. So, for example, if, if the woman, and I'm just giving an example here, not trying to teach a solid psychological principle that applies to every woman in the situation. But let's say a woman had little attention from her father and didn't feel very loved by him. She winds up married to a guy in her age group. They go along for a few years and then some distinguished guy comes along and starts paying attention to her older. And she finds herself strangely attracted to him and begins to have conversations with him over time, over time, usually not immediately, that become more and more risque or more and more toward areas that they shouldn't be talking about, which eventually winds up in some bedroom somewhere. And now she's, quote, madly in love with him, end quote, and doing all these things that she shouldn't do. And now she wants out of her marriage. Why? Well, I'm in love with this other guy. That's why I want out. Now, I'm not saying that this guy is her father. He's not. She may not even be aware of the fact that the susceptibility, vulnerability in her came from childhood. All she's thinking now is what I have is not as good as what I want, which is to be with this guy as much as I possibly can. And so that's what I want to go do. I want to be with him. I'll give up my husband. I'll give up my children. They'll be fine. This man will be amazing for me for the rest of my life. And so while the principle I gave earlier is absolutely true, people don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better quite often. As a matter of fact, one of my counselor friends who actually runs a counseling center with other counselors working under him said, actually, Joe, I've never seen an exception to this. So maybe it's everybody that winds up in severe marriage problems where they want out of their marriage there's something back in childhood from, he says all, I will say at least a lot, that has set up a possibility, I'm sorry, a vulnerability, susceptibility. They finally went through possibility and the trouble came when they got into things that made it more probable. So a young lady, beautiful young lady, as a matter of fact, I've known her most of her life, actually. <laughs> If, if you lined up 100 people and said, pick out the person you think has never done anything wrong, she's the person I would have picked. And she and her husband wound up in one of our workshops because she wound up having an extramarital affair, which was shocking to everybody. Like, if there's anybody who would never do this, it would be you. And in our workshop, she and I talked some because I'd known her since she was a child. I mean, a young child. And she would ask questions like, I still don't understand why I did that. I can't understand what led me to that. Without giving the whole story, basically what it boiled down to is that her dad, who, by the way, is a great guy, he is, and it would kill him to know that this happened. Her dad was always pushing her to do more, achieve more. She would cry if she made a 98 on a test instead of 100 back when she was in school because she needed so much to please her father. Now, He's a good guy. He didn't realize the effect he was having on her, but the susceptibility, vulnerability she wound up with is I need for the authority figure in my life to be happy with me. I need to do whatever I need to do to make that happen. Possibility exists with a beautiful young woman that some authority figure would take advantage of that. Absolutely. She winds up working for an authority figure kind of guy. And he finally, over time, because the conversations get more and more and more intimate as they go along, not even necessarily about sex, just conversations about life and those kinds of things until he eases into that position where she really wants to make him happy. 
because that's how she's been kind of conditioned in life. And he winds up having an affair with her. She, of course, with him. And it's just devastated herself that she had done such a thing. Now, her marriage was saved. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I have no idea what happened to the Miss Alabama because I never knew who she was. The pastor that was involved with the 13-year-old, his marriage was not saved. Oh, and by the way, what kind of susceptibilities, vulnerabilities do you think she brought into adulthood? And what kind of things do you think have, that she's had to struggle with through her lifetime? So do you hear the principle here? It typically, it typically happens in January. It can happen any time of the year, obviously, but typically more in this month than any other. And if people want out of a marriage, it's because I believe that what I'm headed to is better than what I have. Either because of the situation I'm going to be in with that person, situation I'm going to be in with that lifestyle, or the situation I'm going to be in because now you no longer can control me or beat me or abuse me. And a lot of that still goes back to childhood so that not long ago, a woman was telling me a story that when she was a teenager, her father got mad at her about something one night, took a thin belt. She was wearing blue jeans and they were kind of tight, beat her buttocks and legs with that belt until he cut through the denim and she was bleeding quite a bit. He would not let her take them off and take a bath and clean herself up. He made her sleep all night long on a cold tile floor in those bloodied jeans so that the next morning when she wakes up, that blood is clotted. And as she gets into the bathroom, finally to be able to take those jeans off, she's ripping those scabs off as you would understand. And in that process bled again, tremendous pain. Now, what kind of susceptibility vulnerability do you think that puts in her life? Wanting an authority figure who is kind, gracious, loving, etc., and having tremendous negative reaction toward anybody that in any way physically makes her feel threatened. So what was the double whammy in her life that led her to want a divorce? Well, her husband on one occasion got really angry. Now, let me, I'll go back and tell you more. She got involved with an older man who was a minister. And I'm not, this is not beat up minister night, but also a minister who was warm and kind and friendly. Do you understand how that childhood event led to the possibility, which led to the probability? Those things typically don't happen overnight. They evolve over time and people go further and further and further into it, which finally led to the reality of the affair. And when husband finds out, he hits her. And, of course, she instantly flashes back to when she was a teenager to what her father done. And it's like, well, I'm out of here. Being free from you, even if I have to live alone for the rest of my life, is better than being with you because you hit me. Now, she wasn't necessarily going to go after the pastor, which would have been a possibility because of the fact that he was an older, kinder, gentler, sweet man that her father had not been. But do you understand? Do you get the principle so far? Well, I've spent about 30 minutes on this, and I think probably I've talked about it enough to make it clear as to what the real reason is. Did you hear it? People don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. So if they're leaving for another person in their mind, that person is better. If they're leaving you for a different lifestyle in their mind, that lifestyle is better. If they're leaving you uh, because they can't live with you any longer because of the domination, the control, the abuse, 
In other words, you've made their lives the proverbial living hell. Then they even see being alone as being better. And that most of the time, and maybe all of the time, it will also tie back into something from their childhood that they're dealing with, which is why, interestingly, you often see people wind up doing things like having an extramarital affair after some significant emotional event in their lives, like, you know, dad died. And then that triggers all these kinds of things happening inside of you. And boom, next thing you know, you've moved into probability. You go through all of that and finally get into reality. And you're doing this other terrible thing over there. Do you understand how this works now? You see that. Now, the telephone number here is 646-378-0424. Now, that is 646-378-0424. If you would like to ask questions about your marriage, your relationship, if, for example, you're leaving your spouse and you want to talk to me about how these things we've been talking about might apply to you, I'd love to talk to you about that. Or if your spouse is in the process of wanting to divorce you, And you'd like to talk about some of these very same things, like, hey, can you help me, Joe, think through how some of these things might be applying to my husband or my wife who wants out of our marriage? I'm happy to talk to you about. Or if you have any kind of a question about relationships, I'm happy to do that. Again, the number is 646-378-0424. That's 646-378-0424. Now, if you call and you wish to speak to me, Here's what you need to do. When you hear that opening menu, you press the number one. That signals me that you wish to speak to me. You understand, I can see that there's several callers out there, but it appears that that all of these are listening on their smartphone, which is fine. We're happy to have you do that. But if you want to talk to me, you've got to press that number one. Now, I'm not sure if you've been listening for a while. If you press the number one now, if it'll signal me that you're there and that you want to speak to me, you may, and I hate this, but you may have to hang up and call back that number again, 646-378-0424. And when you hear that opening menu, you press the number one and that says, okay, all right, I want to talk to Joe and or Dr. Joe, if you prefer, and I will then put you in contact with me and we'll talk about these things. By the way, if you're listening and thinking to yourself, wait a minute, uh, is there anything you can offer me that'll help? If you've not been through our website, may I strongly suggest you go to www.marriagehelper, that's marriagehelp, E-R, marriagehelper.com. I'll say that again, www.marriagehelper, like marriagehelp, E-R.com, and you'll find there a tremendous number, a tremendous number of um, well, articles that I've written and that others have written who work with us, um, audios that you can listen to, ebooks that you can download, and also at the same time, you can go to iTunes, subscribe free to Marriage Radio, and you'll find about 90 of these broadcasts there that you can actually go to and listen to different topics. And they're all titled in such a way, hopefully, that you can see which one you want to talk about. And, and or listen to, I guess I should say, all of those things are there. 
If you go to www.marriagehelper.com, let me give you a little different version of that. If you might be interested, if you might be interested in um, an online 10-week course for a spouse who wants to save a marriage, but the other spouse doesn't, and the other spouse is at this point not willing to go to counseling or come to one of our intensive workshops, it's just you. If you want to do that, then what you do is you go a little bit different here. You type first the word your, Y-O-U-R, your dot marriage helper, and that's marriagehelper.com, slash save my marriage, all one word, all small letters. And if you do that, you can find out about our 10-week course that's online that comes with coaching calls, et cetera, to help you try to save your marriage. I believe the number we're going to right now is Dayton, Ohio, L0937. You're on the Dr. Joe Show. Hi, Joe. Hi. How are you tonight? I'm okay. How are you doing? Hope you're feeling better. Yes. Had some major surgery that put me out for a while, and uh, <laughs> it's almost like having to start all over building a whole new audience with this program because I was out so many weeks. <laughs> So well, thank you, you for missed. asking. That was for sure. <laughs> thank you kindly. Thank you um, for asking, but I'm doing well now. How can I help you tonight? Um, well, I spoke with you before. Um, my hu- I'm going on 14 months now of my husband being gone out of state. As far as like the divorce, um, I spoke to you a couple months ago about him showing up at the house with his clothes and getting the apartment here in town. Well, mm-hmm. um, the ever since the other woman pulled him back in that week that he was here, um, he went right back to, you had said that you believed he could be in stage three um, mm-hmm. at that time, but she pulled him back. And when that happened and he went back out there, um, the communication went right back to the way it was in the beginning where it was like, you didn't hear anything from him. It's like, he completely just backed away again. Well, mm-hmm. now I fear he's letting the apartment kind of go. Um, mm-hmm. He only stayed here a couple times, um, but he hasn't been paying the rent. So I'm assuming that he's letting that go. And I'm getting really discouraged. Um, it's, right. it's tiresome. Um, mm-hmm. I've been doing the pies and following the 10 week course and everything, but it's really hard with no communication mm-hmm. um, for Christmas the two went to go visit the relationship with the oldest son is still the same. And I w- I've been praying that this situation with the oldest son would wake him up because he's the oldest son's not wavering. He's never went out there. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not going to go out there and he's mm-hmm. standing firm on that. So I understand the limerence and mm-hmm. the connection with this other woman, but is his dad also had an affair um when my husband was our oldest son's age. So I thought, well, that would be another thing Mm -hmm. for him to realize the pain that the oldest one's going through. Um, So when he left in October and got this apartment and was talking about the divorce and all that, and he was going to file, nothing's been filed yet. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had consultations with attorneys and all that and um, spoke with them, but it's back to being distant and we didn't hear anything from him since like Christmas Mm -hmm. and just out of the blue tonight, he texts our daughter about coming this weekend to let her visit. And, um, she texted him back that, Hey, it's mom's birthday. And so then Mm -hmm. he decides to call me 
And mm-hmm. then he was like, oh, well, I thought we had this arrangement for every other weekend. I'm like, you, you don't communicate with me. We need to co-parent. Right. And right. it hurt my feelings because he was like, he wasn't being rude because, well, what do we need to talk about if, unless it has something to do with the kids? And that really hurt because I'm like, I don't know what more I can do than be, uh-huh. I'm being calm and strong and cooperating right. and everything, but mm-hmm. I just need some suggestions because I'm tired. Okay. I mean, uh, don't blame me. I would be tired too. Let's let's explain some of the phrases you've used for people who don't normally listen to the program. So just give me a, a couple of minutes to explain those. Okay. Uh, I, tell me your first name again. I'm sorry. I'm blanking. Jamie. Jamie. Yes. It's Jamie. Jamie. Yeah. Okay. Then. What she's talking about here when she says the word limerence, limerence is a word that describes people who feel that they're madly in love. Now, you can actually, for those who have not heard that before, if you go over to iTunes, if you go over to iTunes and there you look at Marriage Radio, you'll see several different programs that I've done on limerence that explains it in great detail. Also, you can find articles about it on www.marriagehelper.com, but it's a state that people are in when they feel they're madly in love with somebody else. Now, our experience with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of couples is that limerence basically has three stages or phases. The first one I call infatuation, and in infatuation, people are beginning to develop this relationship with another person. At that point, if, if something were to happen to help pull them out of it, it would really work. If it's an early infatuation, it's not as effective in later infatuation. The higher they go in the infatuation, the closer they're coming to the next step, which is phase two, which is crystallization. And crystallization, and and by the way, there's not a definitive point like, okay, at 12.03 a.m. on the 16th, you move from phase one to phase two. It's more of a gradual thing, and, and you can't really identify specifically when a person moves out of one into the other. But in crystallization, people in limerence do things like um, seeing no flaws in the person they've become involved with. He or she is absolutely perfect. They, many of them, not all, rewrite history when it comes to their spouses. They remember all the bad things. They don't remember any of the good things, okay? And that rewrite rewrite history. They can become quite uh, cold and distant to the spouses. They can become very angry and accusatory toward the spouse. Now, Phase three is actually called deterioration, and what happens then is that the limerence is beginning to fade. Limerence always fades. Now, I'm not going to go through all of that. I can tell you again, go look at the articles on marriagehelper.com or go to iTunes and look for Marriage Radio, and you can see several programs about it there. And so when you heard her refer just a little while ago to he was apparently in stage three, and, and I remember the conversation we had about that, and I thought, yeah, he sure is giving indications of phase three. But understand all through all three phases, infatuation, crystallization, and deterioration, that is three steps forward, two steps back. That people can make progress and then back up, make progress and then back up, progress and then back up. And so a person can go into the deterioration phase where that the limerence is beginning to go away. It will always end. It takes different time with different people, but it will always end. And in the deterioration phase, they don't see the other person as perfect anymore to begin to see his or her flaws. At the same time, in the deterioration phase, they'll often start counting the cost as to what they gave up. Now, I'm about to come back to the question that you asked. And when she was saying, okay, he appeared to be in phase three, but now it looks like he's gone all the way back into phase two again, that can happen. 
Now, if it does, it's still not going to last forever. But what I try to point out to many people is this. Even if a person goes all the way through phase three, they still may not want to come back to the marriage at that point. The reason for that is because they have potentially, for example, so vilified the spouse, been so negative about the spouse, all these terrible things about you, et cetera, and so much written history. And typically, as a matter of fact, it happens a lot. People in limerence, by the time they get into phase two, which is the crystallization phase, often, often are living a very different lifestyle doing things they didn't do in their previous lifestyle, which might include things like drinking a lot or certain drugs or any number of things. And sometimes they don't want to give that lifestyle up. And so even if a person comes out of phase three, they may not necessarily want to come home because they vilified you or they think they're really enamored of this new lifestyle. And so now the last phrase that she used was pies, P-I-E-S. That's part of our online 10 week program where we explain that. And in the pies, we talk about how you become the best you can be physically. That's the P intellectually. That's the I emotionally. Uh, that's the E and spiritually that's the S and spiritual there doesn't mean religion. It refers to beliefs and values. Now I'm not going to take time to explain that now. So all the way back so that as you heard the pain and the story, now you can understand some of the phraseology. And so he appeared to be in phase three, but now appears to be back in phase two and is being unkind. Like I thought we had this deal and this and that and the other and asking the daughter, Hey, come spend the weekend with me when it's actually mama's birthday. And is it possible that he actually forgot that? Yeah, it's possible because being so focused on himself and what he feels or focused on that affair partner and what she feels. And so now we come back to you and the question, if I understood it after giving all that explanation there, and I apologize for that, the question you were saying, the question I heard you say was basically, well, what else can I do, particularly when he's not really communicating with me at all? Was that the basic question at the end of that? Yeah, and it's confusing because um, just like this evening, um, he did mention, he's like, you know, it doesn't seem right. Ah, now, this is after he's already contacted the 10-year-old daughter. Um, mm-hmm. Then he spoke to me. Then he, you could tell he kind of thought, he was like, well, it doesn't seem right. You know, it is your birthday, and you ha- if you have plans, and, you know, instead of getting upset, I said, well, it's, it's the schedule. You know, try to be accommodating. And I said, well, let me hand you over to our son and let him make the decision. You know, because I'm not trying to be you know, argumentative and whatnot. And like I said, all of our exchanges through this separation, it has not been um, arguing, fighting, and all those types of things. And when he came back in October, um, I told you that it was surprising to me um, when he showed up with those clothes that he Mm -hmm. handed me bricks. And that was the first time he ever handed me bricks. And that I think that's why you said it sounds like he's going into phase three because he was saying mm-hmm. things like it was her third affair and she was controlling. And But it right. just shocked me that the whining and begging and pleading on her part took him back there away from his family. Mm-hmm. That's right. what I don't understand, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep, but I mean, it would be different if we were arguing. I understand, but you've already talked about some of the things from his childhood that create susceptibility and vulnerability. That when he was about the age of your son, that his dad had an affair. Now, if I'm remembering that conversation correctly, he used to talk about how much that hurt him. Is that right? Mm-hmm. 
And then after he but got see, involved, now when my old, when my oldest son brings that up to my husband mm-hmm. as kind of an example to understand his pain, right. um, it's blocked out. Right. He doesn't remember that pain. Right. He doesn't want to discuss it. Okay. So we have a young man. Well, uh, I don't know how old your husband is, but we have a man here that somehow or other, through his susceptibility, which sounds as if it probably came from the situation with his own dad and what his dad did. And, and it hurt him a lot, because if I remember the conversation we had before about it, you said he used to talk about how much it hurts before he got into his own thing, and now he doesn't remember it. So mm-hmm. somehow, somehow this woman is able to key into that. Now, if this is her third affair, she probably has a lot of practice. What I mean is yeah. she, knows, she knows how to read men. She knows how to figure out what their vulnerabilities and susceptibilities are, and she knows how to hone in on that. And by mm-hmm. doing so, can it's, it's not brainwashing, but it's kind of like brainwashing. Now, what we're hoping yeah, and the distance for, also is her bandaged also. Yeah, obviously. So with all of that going on, what we're hoping for is that. And whatever conversations you do have with him, even if it's just about the children. And yes, I understand how much that hurts after he did all the other things. But continue to be the warm, safe place as long as you choose to be, whenever it becomes untenable. What I mean by that, when you finally reach the point where it's like, I cannot do this anymore. It is ripping me apart emotionally. It's ripping the kids apart emotionally, either you or the kids or both. Then... Mm -hmm. You'll have to reach a time when that happens that for your own emotional and mental health and your children's mental and emotional health, that you're going to actually have to do something legally. Now, I'm not telling you to do that. You understand it's always your decision. I don't tell you what to do because I don't have to live with your consequences. But it'll come a point when either you are able to be patient enough until finally he gets through some of this fog from the... Um, the woman who is bewitching him, if, and, and I don't mean by magic, but you understand what I'm saying here. I and, or, or to the point where you're saying, I can't live like this anymore. When you finally yeah, reach that it's point. Slowly, it's, it's really weird because like, it's just that he's not physically here. Like I said, it's not, every story is different, but um, he's still paying all the bills and everything mm-hmm. status quo. It's just that he's not here. And, she would when he came back in October. I thought there was a little crack because she, he was mm-hmm. read me a couple text messages, and it was like, "Give your wife a high five. She won, and whatever." And it's just mm-hmm. like, really, is, is at the cost of your your oldest son. Um, right. I wonder, like, why he ignores him. Is is it because my son convicts him every time they talk, or he sees himself in our oldest son? He gets frustrated uh, can... because my oldest son has mm-hmm. not wavered at all. You know? I'm proud of him. Tell me again yeah. how old he is. Uh, he's 15. Yeah, I remember that now. I am super impressed with your son. You give him a high five for me. You say, yeah, I'm hey, really proud. Hey, you know, uh, because that's, that's awesome what he's doing. Okay, so one of these two things are going to happen. Either you're going to continue to be warm and friendly and kind and understanding, and whenever you do have conversation, make it so that if he chooses to take off on bricks, he will, until finally mm-hmm. such time as he comes to his senses, or... Or you're going to reach the point where for your, and again, I've been redundant, so forgive me, for your own mental or emotional health or the health of mental and emotional health of your, of your children, pull the plug. Now, if you make that legal move, and again, I'm, I'm not telling you to do that, but if you make that legal move, 
there's a possibility it might wake him up. Now, hear me well. Don't do it for that possibility. Never right. file for divorce. Never take legal action unless that's really unless your intent. Unless you're willing to go through with it. You yep. got it. But with I a man <laughs> who has vacillated like that, there actually is a possibility it could shake him to his roots. That's a possibility that then he'd come back and say, how do we fix this? Now, I just want you to know it's possible. I'm not saying it's probable. And, of course, right. you understand the principle about you don't, you don't do the legal stuff with that as the intention of what you're wanting to do. Yeah. I'm impressed with you. I'm impressed with your son. You have done so well. But I'll tell you what. I appreciate it. Even, uh, even the greatest. I'm still trying to get strongest, to the workshop. <laughs> I would love to have you there. I'd love to I meet mean, you. I mean, I asked him one time in August, and he said no. But, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not going to. I'm just waiting for that window of opportunity, you know, <laughs> to find a good opening to bring that well, let up. Let me tell you one other story then, and that's in a good quick. Uh, a young lady, she talked to us many times, and her husband was involved with another woman and had, and had gotten to the point where he was not helping her financially. Plus, they had a child with some special needs, and he wasn't helping with the kid. And the more she talked to me about this guy, the more I got to where I didn't like him, and I never met him. You understand? I just got angry mm-hmm. with him. Finally, out of the clear blue, I don't, as a matter of fact, I'll go before long. Out of clear blue, he finally somehow convinces me to come to the workshop, but I find out they're coming, and I'm ready to hate this guy when he walks in the door. You know what I'm saying? I'm so mad at all the things he's done, and wound up liking him, which made me mad. I wound up liking the guy. They turned him around, saved the marriage, are doing extremely well today, and now she works for us. She actually works with our nonprofit, and they are together today. Their child is actually having uh, heart surgery today, and they've had to oh, go back you, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. I had to go back in tonight because the child is bleeding, so they had to open him up again this evening. But I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying, there can be these wonderful, amazing, happy returns. I hope and pray that for you. Okay. I do too. I do too, and right. I've been waiting for a month to, to pick your brain on that, and I appreciate okay. it to give me a little right. bit push for hope. I got you. Well, I'm back, and you can give that son a high five for me, okay? Okay, thank you, Joe. All right, thank you so much, and thank all of you for listening. We'll see you next Tuesday night, beginning at nine Central Time.